Welcome to Witchlit, a podcast where we talk about the craft of writing and writing the craft. I'm your host, Victoria Rashke, fiction author, witch, and nosy Scorpio. Avon Ebro has been a pagan since 1985 and a Wiccan since 1991. They have an MA in contemporary religions and spiritualities from Bath Spa University in the UK. They were born in England and now live in Cambridge, Ontario, Canada. They've written four books on the mythology and folklore of trees, birds, and animals in two anthologies of poetry. Their most recent books are All Acts of Love and Pleasure, Inclusive Wicca, published by Avalonia Books, Dark Mirror, The Inner Work of Witchcraft, and The Night Journey, Witchcraft as Transformation, both published by the Doreen Valianti Foundation in association with the Center for Pagan Studies. They co-edited Pagan Consent Culture with Christine Hoff-Kramer. They blog at Dowsing for Divinity and also have a YouTube channel. Welcome, Yvonne. Thank you very much. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited you're here too. We talked a little bit before we started and um, Yvonne and I have a, what we have decided is a parasocial relationship from Instagram. So this is the first time we've really gotten to talk face to face, but we feel like we know each other already, which is nice. So I'm going to jump in the questions and we'll see where we go from there. But I, the first thing I want to ask since we're, you know, primarily writing podcast is why do you write and what was your journey to become a writer? It's a really interesting question. I think, um, uh, writing is a bit like breathing for me. I I can't not write. Um, you know, I I start cogitating and ruminating about something, and I'm like, oh, I've got to write that down, and it's going to be a blog post, or it's late, lately it's turned into a YouTube video. Um, I think I started writing when I was in my I don't know like eleven or twelve, probably. Um, short stories and poetry and stuff like that and I always really enjoyed creative writing at school and I think I kind of sort of knew I was going to be a writer um so I always wanted to write a novel and haven't got around to that yet I've got lots of unfinished chapter ones um so um I think writing um books a non-fiction for me has become um my go-to thing so that's something I really enjoy yeah I'm um though I write fiction now I have a lot of still unfinished chapter ones (laughs) I think that part of the journey to be a fiction writer is lots of unfinished chapter ones good Um, to know yeah it it is a step on the way I think um so what did getting published the first time look like for you what was that process like so um I think i uh, I think I wrote to one publisher, actually, uh, which was Capelban Publishing um, in 1993 and um, got a letter back saying, yes, we were interested in publishing your book. Um, and that was Enchanted Forest. And um, I then published my next three books with them. Um, they've recently gone bankrupt, so those books are no longer available. And the hard drive I had them on has died, so so I can't mm. self-publish them um, uh, unless I manage to recover the hard drive. Um, 
so after that I think um the next book I the next book I did was All Acts of Love and Pleasure and um that were I think I approached Avalonia first and and they were they were happy with that and then Dark Mirror and The Night Journey went went around various different publishers um, and I actually ended up self-publishing them to start with and then the Dorian Valiente Foundation expressed an interest um, so that one had much more of a checkered history which I, I think is a shame because I actually think it's the, my best work um, but there you go. I, I saw when I was looking at the books that there were two versions and I wondered what the story was there with the the two most recent books. So, yeah, so I initially published, did a self-published version in 2018 and then um, the the second edition, it was in 2020. So I took the opportunity to do some revisions and put some extra material in and uh, still trying to get it into book catalogs and into the stores because that's really hard apparently yes yeah self-published or small publisher i think those are definitely issues that a lot of modern writers face is that mm. if you're not with a big five house like just getting your book into someone's hands is a challenge so it really is yeah so now so now that you've published so what does your writing life look like now like is it like the main part of what you do or do you still have a day job like what is yeah. how does writing work for you <laughs> so yeah absolutely day job is software developer um i mean writing is definitely a very much a side gig if i you know um don't make that much money off of it um maybe enough for a couple of nice meals out and a, and a few beers. Um, so, um, I mean, you know, the main reason that I write the stuff I write is because there are people out there who get it and go, yes, I needed this. This is what I wanted. This is the information I wanted. Um, um, you know, my, I guess my audience of queer pagans is a little bit niche. Um, but when they get hold of the stuff, um, they do find it helpful. So, so that's mm -hmm. great. And it's actually a frustrating thing that every time somebody writes a new book on queer paganism, there's a chorus all over the social media of, oh, this is the first book of its kind. It's like, no, there's a whole list of authors writing tenth, about this stuff. Yeah. The 10th first book of its kind. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, I, I feel like that, especially that, that your audience is, is queer pagans and hopefully pagans in general to, you know, interact with people who are queer pagans. Um, so what, I mean, what would you say the goal of your writing is like, that's your audience. Like, what is the goal of, especially these, you know, the, the recent cache of books, like what is. Um, yeah. So the goal was um, to help, I mean, I'd seen a lot of books entitled queer paganism, gay paganism, that kind of thing. And I was like, okay, well, as a bisexual, um, if I was in a same sex oriented only circle, I would feel just as excluded as if I'm in a heterocentric circle. So I want to be in the space where my bisexuality is recognized. And so I thought, well, you know, why can't we have a space where heterosexual where you know opposite sex 
relationships and same-sex relationships are both honoured and represented and then that keeps that makes everybody happy um, and we don't have to be segregated into um, gay and straight versions of paganism which is just bonkers to me so um so that's how inclusive wicca was born and then um it actually turned out that that there have been groups of people doing inclusive practice well before i coined came up with that as a term um and then the other two books um dark mirror and the night journey um I was at a ritual for a group ritual and I noticed people kind of just kind of almost marching up to the quarters and and summoning them in a very you know peremptory kind of way a bit shouty and I I thought oh no you know like make a connection with the energy first and you know just speak to it as you would to another human being um and so I was like well you know people don't seem to be writing about or thinking about the energetic aspects of ritual and so that was the impetus behind let's talk about the inner work of ritual um which then kind of grow grew into a bunch of other ideas as well but uh, like bod embodied spirituality <laughs> and then also relating your inner practice to your outer practice as well mm -hmm. Yeah, I was really struck. I think it's the, it's, I think it's the second or third chapter in Night Journey, the queer witchcraft chapter, and just the language you use to talk about like kind of this sparkly sky of um, the possibilities of like gender identity and sexual identity. And it, it just like, for one, it reminded me that you are a poet as well, because the language was really there. But just that, like you, we were talking about the energy of it. Like it just like seems like such open space. Like mm. it just opens up the space of ritual in a way that I think this very, um, you know, binary, even a spectrum kind of is limiting in that way. But I also just like, it reminded me like of how it feels like in your books, you're kind of also creating the language of this conversation. I mean, I know there are other books out there, but the language you use specifically seems so much more expansive in a lot of ways. Did you find that came easily or was that difficult to get at? Did you feel if you kind of have to bend things around or? I think um, I just got really frustrated with people talking about the spectrum of gender or sexuality or whatever, because as you say, the spectrum reproduces the binary, right? So I just wanted to go, okay blow that out of the water let's talk about okay it's a scatter plot and I can't remember if I came up with the term scatter plot or whether I saw it on somebody else's thing and then I was like well scatter plot that's a bit dull um it's a bit mathematical uh let's see if we can come up with something a bit more pagan sounding ah landscape um so I then came up with the idea of the landscape of gender and um and I think in that post when I wrote that particular passage that you're referring to with the rainbows and the and the peacocks and the sparkly things um I think it was not that long after the pulse shootings in Orlando and I really wanted to push back against the sort of you know repressive um atmosphere that allows somebody to to think it's 
acceptable to wander into a nightclub and shoot 49 people you know um and I really wanted to assert that the beauty of being queer um and I think it was also in response to the the um the trans exclusionary radical feminists who always sound so kind of biological and very sort of pedantic and a bit dreary and I was like right no like fireworks and and sparkly things and rainbows and unicorns um as a sort of you know like we've got the joy and the expansiveness kind of Mm. no it it really shows in language I mean not just in that particular section which is particularly beautiful language I think but just throughout the books um like did you I'm trying to figure out how exactly to cash this question because the one thing I really noticed is like, I know that I, even though I am open to all of these ideas, I still struggle with the language of, you know, just making sure you're inclusive, like remembering to use the right pronouns, not because I don't want to use them just because that hitch in your brain, you know, like, yeah, or like you were introduced to this person with a different pronoun. And then that's the one that sticks in your head, you know, those kind of things. But mm. like throughout, like, I feel like there's, um, throughout the books, you know, this deliberate use of inclusive language and that we still have to kind of talk about gendered things too and like is that how do you deal with that in the books like when in your Um, writing like how do you kind of suss all those things out well so I had a I think in the first the first edition I actually had some language that needed cleaning up because when (laughs) um, you know like I might have written opposite sex or something right and I um and I noticed that I said it just now and I always try to say different sex relationships or different gender relationships to imply that you know there's not only two and they're not actually opposite to each other um and sometimes we all slip up and so you know isn't editing wonderful because I was able to go back through and go okay um I said opposite I said opposite sex here when I actually meant different gender or um you know unfortunately we can't go back and like oh undo start again (laughs) with um with what we've said right so that's harder um I mean it's funny actually because sometimes even when you know even though I'm non-binary I sometimes misgender myself if I'm referring to myself in the third person because I'm haven't been a full-time they for that long and um i mean you know generally speaking um if if you get somebody's pronoun wrong if you can correct if you can pick it up and correct yourself in the same sentence um you know like sometimes i'll go he um they (laughs) um like the other day, um, I was actually misgendered by another non-binary person who uses they. <laughs> so, and they were like, oh, uh, sorry, oops. <laughs> so it was quite funny. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think, you know, the wonderful thing about writing is that we can we can edit and think of ways around it or even google for ways around it um when we're talking it's harder to to get all that all those ducks in a row um but yeah i tend to sort of go through and go all right there's a binary reference let's get rid of it 
But yeah, it's so ingrained in the language. I mean, it's in, you know, it's not just pronouns. It's like the way I was reading today, like a conversation between, you know, like my brother just came out as non-binary. Oh, but he's, do I call him, do I still call him my brother? Do I call him my sibling? And the responses were, you need to work that out with them. Like, what did they want you to call them? You know? Yeah. Yeah, because so, it's been it's quite interesting actually because I I really dislike the term prestix personally. And it's, it's kind of it's one of those that tastes funny in my mouth. Like I just don't like yes. it. Just it's a weird word. Yeah. Yeah, I just like I mean, and it's all down to the fact that um, the the uh, like it should be that the word priest is gender neutral, and then the masculine should be priester or something like that. Um, or Presta, as in, you know, Presta John, um, and then the the feminine would then be priestess. Um, but because in English the masculine is assumed to be the the unmarked default, we don't and and would have previously been gender neutral. That's why that's why that term isn't available. We have to make up a, a somewhat weird, not very English sounding term like prestex um i mean if somebody wants to call, be called a prestex obviously i will happily refer to them as such but i don't feel right referring to myself as that so i still refer to myself as a priestess um not because i mean in inclusive wicca you know the ritual roles aren't particularly gendered um but i just like the term priestess because it's always been used to refer to pagans mm-hmm because it was coined in the 1600s to refer to um, for historical female priests from Rome and Greece and things. And so it's like, oh, that's our word. Yeah, it was never right, like one. part of like Christian conversation. It's other than to exactly. other the, the religions. Yeah. So like when like you have this relationship with your readers who you know are, are either queer pagans or queer pagan adjacent people or want to just be more inclusive like how do you um like what's the reception like what is the feedback you get from people because I feel like just in my reading like though you know obviously from watching your YouTube channel and stuff like these are conversations I've been into but re- reading the books like there's just they're so dense and there's so much information like I feel like I added 20 books to my to be read pile I was reading through, but like, what, what is the feedback you get from readers about? Um, So I've had a range of feedback really. Like, I mean, I think my favorite feedback was from a friend um, who is definitely straight, but not narrow. And he said um, that he'd always felt that something was missing from Wicca, but he couldn't put his finger on what it was. And then he read my, read my books and went, ah, that's it. Um, which was a really nice piece of feedback. Um, and uh, I've also had feedback that people had to get the dictionary out and look, um, so I can add a footnote, like this is what this means. Um, and um, I think part of that is probably like British versus North American vocabulary as well. Um, but yeah, a lot of a lot of queer people specifically have said they were ready to walk away from Wicca because it seemed really gender binary based. And then they came across my work and went, oh, OK, this could work for me then. 
Um, and also, similarly, I had somebody who was a polytheist who had stopped practicing Wicca because they had understood it to be um, very duotheist. And my work made them realize, oh, actually, uh, I can practice Wicca in a polytheist way. Um, and there's still a very widespread perception that you can't be a polytheist and a Wiccan out there. And I'm like, yes, you can, because I am. And I have been for 30 years. <laughs> I think there's also like this idea that somehow a religion that's less than 100 years old is set in stone. Like, that's just not a thing yet. <laughs> like, we're not there yeah. yet. <laughs> so. I think uh, a lot of people who say that are looking at Wicca from the outside, because I know a lot of polytheist Wiccans. Um, and I, so like, have you gotten feedback? Like, cause I know that traditional witchcraft is also kind of part of your practice just from other media I follow you on, but, um, have you gotten feedback from those folks too? Like, have they looked at these? I mean, I, I am not a practicing Wiccan, but I just found so much good information in these books. So like, have you oh. heard from other folks too? Um, I think, um, I did get an invitation to uh, a traditional craft event, um, which I assumed was on the basis of my books, but uh, and I went and it was great. Um, but I haven't had feedback specifically from that side of the house, no. So kind of going back to that idea of like, A, that you have footnotes, which thank you for those. They're brilliant. And just like the amount of information in the books, like when you like what is pre-writing for like a book this dense look like for you because it seems like I mean it's clear there's a lot of research in addition to like your own personal experience which I think you capture really well and use in like really nice illustrative ways in the work but like what does that like what does organizing this or do you just kind of pants your way through writing a non-fiction book which seems horrifyingly terrifying to me so um so I a lot of the material that's in the books um, is adapted from my blog as well. Uh, so if people want samples and a taster, they can go to the blog and have a read. Um, so what I tend to do is go, first of all, rough out the structure. Um, well, actually, no, before that, I would probably write down a bunch of ideas. So it'd be like, okay. So I knew I was writing a book about the inner work. So okay, what is the inner work, um, and how am I gonna how am I gonna express something that's quite tenuous and nebulous like the inner work? So I'm like, okay, write down the write down the thing, write down a bunch of ideas. Okay, what have I got now? Um, okay, that looks like I now have some sort of structure. So I then um, and I basically realised, oh yeah, I'm gonna write about. Um, I'm going to write about the inner work in the sense of, okay, um, if I'm opening a circle and cast calling the quarters, what are the in, what's the inner work of that? Um, and then, and then I realised I'd written a whole bunch of stuff about embodied spirituality, and that I wanted to include that because it wasn't the book in its own right. Um, and then I also realised that I was going to need to say, okay, inner work is all very well. But the point of doing the inner work is to make yourself a more effective human being so you can then relate to other people and the wider world in a in a more effective way. Um, and so that and initially Dark Mirror and the Night Journey were going to be a single volume. 
and then when I put it all together, because I'd got a bunch of different Word documents, um, I realised that in fact I had 150,000 words, and it was going to need to be two volumes. <laughs> so, um, so I think the pre—I mean, the research. Uh, obviously, I had to do a fair amount of research on um, tradcraft stuff. Um, I'd read a few books on it, and but I also did a fair amount of research on the internet as well. Um, and then um, I actually got a, a fairy witch that I know to read the chapter where I mention a lot of fairy and reclaiming stuff. Um, and also she suggested some great resources for me. Um, and then like read the chapter afterwards. So that was great. Um, and uh, what else did I do? So yeah, pre-writing. I mean, I suppose there was a lot of editing so I would write something and then stick it in Google Drive because having had a backup drive die on me, I'm like, I just put everything online. Um, and then it would sit there for a bit and then I'd kind of come back and go, all right, I'll read through that again and did I miss anything and add in more things. So, um, and then I would also go, oh, I've got a blog post that I wrote some time ago relating to that. I'll slot that in there and see how it all fits together so um i suppose the best metaphor would be uh knitting and jigsaw and making a jigsaw <laughs> yeah i mean fiction can be that way too i mean it's writing fiction obviously mm. is a little different but fiction can be that way but i love that you like i love that you kind of touch on the fact that I, books are collaborative in a way i think a lot of people who don't write or who have this I don't know idea that writers are magical unicorns I mean not that we aren't magical unicorns but that that, you know it's somehow you're in your solitary turret you know in a in a loft in Paris or something and you never see other humans and I'm like "Mm, it's actually pretty it's actually pretty collaborative Hmm. process so do you have other effects that you work with like do you work with an editor what kind Um, of so I was what kind, super, team, what kind of team do you have? <laughs> um, yeah, so I, don't, I wouldn't say I had a team as such, um, but um, one thing that was super helpful uh, was so it seems to be the norm now that you send like galley uh, arc copies of the book out to, for people to read and provide endorsements. And so we did that. And um, system and I came back with a really detailed set of feedback which was really really helpful um and they wrote um they wrote a blurb and the blurb was so good and so brilliant I was like can you just make that the forward (laughs) um can you like beef that up a bit and make it the forward um but their their feedback was incredibly helpful and very detailed um um the night journey wouldn't be the you know it's a better book because they gave that feedback um and uh also got a really lovely foreword from steve davies for um the dark mirror as well which really helped um but yeah i mean it was actually part of the reason i managed to get those those two books written um in the time that I did was because my husband is a teacher and he was spending the vast majority of his evenings doing 
prep work for teaching. <laughs> and so I was like, right, okay, you do your prep. I will sit here and write. <laughs> so um, I think having uh, supportive people you live with is like invaluable. Like I can't, I can't imagine like having to like find space in your own house to write. Like if people don't support you in that, but I'm glad you yeah. had supportive space to do that. That's huge. Super helpful. Yeah. I mean, since he's now doing supply teaching, I, and also we've just been doing a ton of coven teaching over Zoom. I haven't had a chance to actually, I mean, I've, I've written a fair amount of blog posts in the time, um, but I haven't actually had a chance to, and made all these YouTube videos, um, but I haven't actually written a book since uh, end of, since I finished that one. So um probably time for another one uh, I mean do you feel like writing is actually part of your practice as a, a Wiccan or a witch too or do you do you see those as kind of separate buckets mm, I think I mean in the sense of writing rituals yes um and also the fact that you know I write all my training material I write a lot for my training material as well um so the structure of how I structure the training is very similar to the process of thinking about how I structure a book. Um, so in that sense, yes. Um, and also writing rituals. Is, I can't write a, a seasonal ritual unless it's like two days before the festival and I'm in the mood and in like, I'm, I'm all sowing now, I'm going to write a sowing ritual. <laughs> yeah, it's a little hard to think about Yule in the middle of, I don't know, August. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um. So writing, so writing rituals, the actual flow of a ritual, but also like, do you have like rituals around how you write? Like, do you have a certain hmm. place you have to be, or do you have anything like that, that you do? I don't um, ever want to really ask people like, what do you do when you write? But I think that as a pagan, you might have like actual rituals around writing. Hmm. So. Um, actually, I don't, apart from, I mean, one of the things I suppose is, uh i used to write poetry longhand first um and now i think i still do that to some extent um as far as writing blog posts or or writing book chapters and stuff like that um i write those generally straight into google drive um but I definitely still prefer writing the the stage when I'm kind of jotting down ideas of how the structure is going to work. That's on paper. That's handwritten on paper. Um, but then when I get to the point where I'm like actually writing, then that that's in electronic form. Um, but that's about as far as near as it gets to any sort of ritual. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Do you have like special pens or paper? You like, I'm, I'm, this is one of my questions. I'm like always curious to ask other writers because, like, I've um, definitely made, I've definitely have opinions about these things now. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got a real, I do have a thing for stationery, for nice stationery. Um, it's got to be like notebooks that I write stuff in have to be spiral bound so I can pull the sheet out and clip it into something else. Um, and the pen has to be, not a kind of like if you use a, a big biro um it's kind of scratchy so i um but i'm a, I, I press quite heavily on the paper so i have to use something that, that doesn't 
bleed through the paper. Um, so like pilot pens are really good. And there's a particular biro that's downstairs. I don't know who what make it is, but it's it's really nice to write with. Um, so I'm always trying to find that biro. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like you should get Thorn Mooney um, on the show because she has massive amount. She would be able to talk about this for like the yes. whole show. Yeah, I, um, I have a lot of pen and me when she's talking about those things. Yeah, so. like I mean, and her handwriting's so nice. Like, mm. um, unfortunately, I'm from a generation in the UK that that had our handwriting ruined by by something called the Nelson system. And the idea of the Nelson system was that you would be able to print your letters neatly but they never taught us to do joined up handwriting. So we kind of had to make it up on our, on the hoof. And so my handwriting just doesn't look nice unless I really try to make it look like calligraphy. Mm. I have to slow down and try to do calligraphy to do nice handwriting. Which is not great for note taking. Like no. that, your brain doesn't work that way. Like my brain doesn't yeah. work that way. Like I write, I the messiest note, the messiest writing I have is like note taking writing. Oh yeah, definitely. But if I'm actually trying to write, something legible or pretty then um then I want it to look nice (laughs) so what like if you I guess if you had like your optimum writing day what would that look like for you uh so yeah get up cup of tea nice breakfast um maybe do some physical exercise before I start because I'll probably get um you know, probably get a cramp otherwise. Uh, and then, yeah, sit down at the computer, um, do my planning uh, thing, and then, and then have get some words on the page. Um, and yeah, it's just there's a real sort of. I mean, I love. This, I actually really love writing on WordPress as well because you can move the paragraphs around, and that's a really good thing for editing. Um, and I really, I actually really like if somebody else edits my stuff because you actually get good input on structure and, and whether you've written something that can be un, understood. Um, so that's really helpful because I've, I've occasionally written stuff at work and um, there's, a, there's a person there who's a really good editor. And every time she edits my work, I'm just like, oh, it's been blessed. <laughs> so, that's really good. Um, so yeah, ideally, I'd like to have her on tap. Uh, that would be great. <laughs> um, and yeah, um, just sort of lots of coffee and breaks, and but also a real sort of flow of writing would be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having that like golden editor person is such a gift. Like, yeah, it's just like the best, the best feeling when you you know that even if it's terrible by the time they read it and they tell you why it's terrible, you'll be able to fix it because they've given you the right, they've, they've told you exactly what the problem is. Yeah. Like, um, and I just find their editing really, really insightful as well. So it's really, really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, cool. is, I don't know. Good editor. is like writer's best friend for sure. Yeah. So like- yeah. And one of the things that, you know, like people who are, um, not used to the ways of the world of writing, shall we say. Um, you know, it's one of the things that you have to understand as a writer is that 
editors are your friend and they're and editing you know they're not taking away your unique expression they're doing something really helpful mm-hmm. and uh, I think a lot of people kind of struggle with that when they start when they get when they start out on the path mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, I was lucky that I got to study creative writing at undergrad, actually poetry. I started out as a poet too. And um, a workshop will knock that out of you really fast. Like it, it's not precious. It can't be precious because you, your point is to get your point across, even in poetry, like you want to be mm. understood. So yeah. having the people who will tell you like, I don't get this or like, this doesn't make sense to me or like, I think you meant a different word here. <laughs> yes yeah like a lot is two words not one yes like clarity is important even in yeah even in frillier writing you still need some clarity so yeah those those editors are important but so when you're reading do you do you like for research purposes like do you how do you do that like do you have an internal editor who's kind of like going through this work and pulling things aside or do you just like immersively read for research like what it how how do you read for research purposes um so there's a lot of googling that happens um and i have become quite adept at skim reading as well um when it comes to reading other people's work um yeah, I can't turn off the internal editor in my brain. So if there's typos, I will see them. Um, and um, the other day I was reading, uh, so I'm trying to find a decent introductory book on Wicca to give to my students. That's like, because obviously I want them to read my books because that's one of the reasons I wrote my books is so that there would be a, a book that I agreed with that I could give to my students. Um, but I also want them to read stuff other than what I've written so they get a different point of view <laughs> so, um, so I was trying to find a book um, that's an introduction to Wicca that doesn't peddle the duo theist point of view and so I picked up this book uh, which I shall not name um, and I got so annoyed that I actually wrote in the margins right something I never do even in pencil right and I got a biro out and I wrote on the margins in biro because I was so cross (laughs) so um so yes uh evidently wasn't able to turn the um the inner editor off that day (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I, I appreciate like the level to like be a person who doesn't mark books to then mark one and pen. I am a destroyer of books when I read them. There's flags and bent pages and oh, that's okay. everywhere. Yeah, but I'm just like, it's, what, it's my one issue with ebooks is though I love to read ebooks because they're easier to read in bed. I can't mark them up. <laughs> so Yes, that's true. Well, you can, but it, it's harder to get back to it when you've mm-hmm. done it. Um, yeah, I'm currently reading a secondhand book and it, the person who read it before was an underliner and they didn't remove their underlining and their marginal notes and I'm just like I don't really feel that your marginal notes add anything strange anonymous reader yeah or they're so cryptic you're like I don't really the cryptic marginalia in secondhand books is is fascinating to me outside of the story of the book sometimes that is true yes and also it turns out that Doreen Valiente was a marginal noter. Um, 
and that's worth having because Dorian Valiente. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm hoping one day someone will think this marginal note, this very rare marginal note by Yvonne Pro is worth having. <laughs> like, she was really angry about this. Yes. <laughs> they were really angry about this. Nicely done. Thank you. Yes. Yes, they were, they were very cross. <laughs> they were very cross that day. Enough to get out the biro. Yeah. Or a pen. As they you know. didn't throw the book across the room, but they were cross enough to write in the book. <laughs> so other than reading that, like what else are you reading these days, like for fun? Um, oh, for fun, uh, science fiction. Um, currently rereading Mary Stewart's Arthurian trilogy. Um which is the crystal cave and the hollow hill um and um i actually blog about everything that i read now so it's like there's a monthly blog post with what i've read this month um and i i I was looking at what i've read this year so far and i know i've read um fair amount of witchy stuff um quite a lot of tradcraft stuff um really like uh Thorn Mooney's stuff. Still waiting for my copy of her latest one. Um, really like T Thorn Coil. Um, and uh, also got to get hold of a book by um, Fia Gade Palmer, who I most recently interviewed on my on my show. Um, what else? Um, yeah, I'm actually reading a really interesting thing at the moment um, called um mighty stories dangerous rituals uh a cool title which is why i picked it up um and it's actually written by a couple of christian authors but they're trying to write it in an interfaithy kind of way because they mention judaism and christianity as well um so but they do kind of like talk about the thing in general and then they go right okay now for the obligatory christian paragraph so you could you know i'm just reading it with whilst translating in my head um but you could you know just skip the christian paragraphs if you wanted um but it's really interesting there's just a really interesting perspective on ritual and how it interacts with people's stories and and how we can you know build people's personal lives into ritual which i thought was really cool because one of the things that i like to do for sawain is get everybody to to talk about one of their relatives who has died so they they bring a photo of the relative and then they tell the story of that person and why they were beloved to them and then we all say the name of the of the deceased relative and it's just really powerful um and so simple but so effective and so i'm like that's bringing story into ritual and can we do that in other ways as well i feel like those kind of rituals to like tap that like just the the storyteller oral history parts of our brain like it just Mm. taps into something really deep i think yeah i think so um and one of the other things that's in i mean i'm on the chapter about weddings at the moment and it's talking about how when two people come together in a marriage they're bringing their family stories together and weaving those into a single thing so typically you're you know the way that you put the decorations on the yule tree or how you um 
even things like you know how how you like to arrange your cutlery drawer are all part of your personal story and how you were brought up and so you're trying to meld those stories together with with the other person in the relationship mm-hmm. um so i think i just think it's a really helpful way of looking at at ritual and um and relationship so no, i like that like i like that idea of weaving your stories together we're also like starting this whole new story of these two people mm. at the same time that's really a, a nice image yeah it's good isn't it yeah i like it and I, I mean i think it's important and that it's really easy especially i think if you're a niche writer or you're just kind of a niche person i mean being a pagan is still kind of a niche thing in a lot of ways mm. that it's there's a whole world of information out there beyond so i think stepping you know reading a book from a christian perspective or like I, there are i know there are people who have trauma from previous religious experiences and, and maybe that's not the way to go but just there's there's history and so many things to read widely and that i think it's you know yeah. nice to step outside those boundaries because that's gonna it's gonna feed the well of your practice and your writing in a different way definitely and um i mean i will read i will only read christian stuff if it's ecumenical if it's kind of you know acknowledging that other religions are valid which thankfully you know so even if it's written from a very christian point of view as long as it's sort of like somewhere somehow acknowledging this is our tradition Mm -hmm. but we recognize that there are other traditions out there and they're equally valid then i'm good with it and that that's the case with this book so i think even people who have that religious trauma and i would definitely count myself as one of them um could cope with the book Mm -hmm. like not immediately after you've left christianity but you know 30 years of water under the bridge you could probably cope yes um as i like that you named a couple other writers i would love to get on the show like i would love to interview t thorn coil and thorn mooney both like i think they would both be excellent interviews and i'm just in awe of them as writers like i think they're just both fascinating people as writers so yeah Definitely. I, I like their style and the, and the content. So mm-hmm. all good. Yeah. Um, so I guess a couple wrap up questions, but before we do the very wrap up question, it is the last question time. And I know you know about this cause I sent you the thing. So like what we're going to do is I'm going to roll a die. And um, this is my opportunity as a nosy Scorpio to talk about things we're not supposed to talk about in polite society, which I mean, I feel like we've already touched on some of those, so this isn't really that much more, but um, depending on the number I roll, it'll either be death, sex, religion, politics, or money. And if I roll a six, you get to pick which one of those the question Ooh. comes from. Hey. All right. So I'm going to roll and let's see what we get. We'll have to. I like the element it. of chance. Here. That's good. So it's three, which is religion, three. which is ah. funny because we just talked about that. But so I have, so religion question that is related to writing um so if you had a pagan the ability to saint someone as a pagan writer like who would be in your pantheon of pagan saint writers for you yeah. your personal pantheon of pagan saint writers so i thought about this um and um i although there has recently been controversy about this person due to um due to like them allegedly saying transphobic things um which 
uh, they didn't think they were actually being transphobic, just kind of uh, the way that she phrased the thing was unfortunate. So um, I'm going to say Starhawk because um, the very first pagan book that I read, um, or very, the, the book that made me realise I was a pagan uh, was Rudyard Kipling's Puck of Pook's Hill. Um, and the very next pagan book I read after that was Dreaming the Dark by Starhawk. And I still think it's an awesome book. And um, the other day I had occasion um, to pull out this book, um, The Pagan Book of Living and Dying, uh, which was edited by Starhawk, uh, M. Marker Nightmare and the Reclaiming Collective. And it is a fantastic resource. Um, it's got rituals for every conceivable situation situation in which somebody might die like death by violence death by death from aids death death in old age death of children it's got everything right and it's all from a pagan perspective and the way it's written is just super helpful because it's like okay here's a piece of liturgy and here's a here's a passage reflecting on on this type of death and what and here's a story of somebody who who was in this situation and it's just it's just one of the best pagan books ever <laughs> to be honest it's so good um yeah it's on my shelf too i love that yeah, book. i love it um and you know i also really love uh truth or dare and um uh, to be honest i've never actually finished the spiral dance <laughs> Uh, and the reason is that every time I, I'm reading through it and I'm like, okay, there's an exercise. Uh, right. Uh, uh, but I'm reading in bed. And so I can't actually do the exercise right now. So I'll just put the book to one side and then I never pick it up again, which is why in my books, the chapter, the exercises are always at the end of the chapters. I did notice that and really appreciate it for that very reason. It's like, oh, yes. don't stop me in the middle of the chapter. I can't go do this. Yeah. Because then it, when you want to, go okay I'm going to come back and do this exercise later it's easy to find because it's at the end of the chapter I also notice and appreciate that Llewellyn books have started putting a, a table of contents for exercises in the front of their books mm -hmm. for presumably the same reason yeah it's just helpful yeah definitely so anyone Starhawk is mainly or anybody else on that list? uh oh, I can have more than one hey, you can have more than one Cool. It could be, it isn't, I mean, I don't know that we have time for like a full pantheon, but we could do a small pantheon. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. In that case, uh, I'm going to have uh, Michel Foucault um, because he really opened up everybody's thinking about power and sexuality and power relations and what it means to be queer and um he also wrote about kink and um just a truly amazing human being yeah i didn't really encounter him until grad school and it was definitely mind-opening i mean there's just so much there and it's not um absorption on the first read kind of thing it's really there's just a lot yeah to unpack there but yeah i would agree that's a good choice <laughs> I mean, even, you know, I, like he's influenced so much, right? Um, oh, and that actually now I want Judith Butler as well. 
for much the same reason. Yeah. Yeah. I like this idea of building a little pantheon of writers or like kind of yeah. also like talking, especially people who have passed, like the this idea of kind of the mighty dead, like our our writing ancestors as well as our yes. physical body ancestors. So well, strangely enough, quite a lot of the people on my um my Wiccan Mighty Dead um I've got a like a framed thing on my altar with all the Mighty Dead on it. Um quite a lot of those are writers. <laughs> so that, that works. Yeah, I know that totally makes sense. Yeah. Well, thank you. Now, for now sure. I'm gonna have to make another one with writers. So yeah, uh, it's definitely cool just idea. a writer one. I like it. Yeah. We'll have to catch back up on that one. So are you working on anything now aside from blogging? Are you working on another book or I know you yes. blog going and other stuff, but yeah, so um I've started thinking about and roughing out and I've actually got a couple of contributions as well for a book on uh, so I'm, it's 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 in the very vague outline stage at the moment but it's on um people who've had spiritual wobbles so like people who've left paganism gone to christianity and then maybe come back to paganism or maybe they've gone paganism christianity atheism or christianity paganism atheism or you know they've had some sort of deviation in their spiritual journey um and uh just trying to make that journey easier for other people because it's one of those things that's kind of taboo to talk about and people are kind of you, you can't really write about it until a significant amount of time has elapsed um so a lot of people are like, oh, I can't write about it now, it's too soon, <laughs> um, which is completely understandable um, because it's quite a painful process. And so I guess the goal of the book would be to make the process less painful for other people. Um, and also one of the things I always say is like, if you are a high profile pagan and you decide that you're going to leave paganism for whatever reason, don't slam the door on your way out because you might want to come back. So I think, um, you know, wherever you're going, whichever way, whichever way you're jumping or wobbling, um, not slamming the door on your way out is probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I don't, I know for me, like though I, had a Christian upbringing it wasn't particularly dogmatic in any way so I kind of escaped like a lot of the trauma that I know a lot of pagans have from a Christian upbringing but like there's still parts of that that I still draw from I mean I like mm. I've talked about this on another podcast I was on that I am um, you know went to Lutheran church and those German hymns like sing to me silent night in German and I'm, you know, I'm gone. Oh, I love <laughs> just it. This, yeah. You know, there's just things that stick with you. And so I think that I'm just never been that good at a door slam and set it on fire kind of thing anyway. But I think you, you just pull those things with you too. There's whatever yeah. the good was sticks with you, hopefully not just the bad. Yeah. Like I always associate silent night in German with the Christmas truce in 1914. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. Um, because that's what started the Christmas truce. And I was just like, oh, that's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there's a really great poem about it by um, oh, Carol, Carol Ann Duffy. 
has written a whole poem about the Christmas truce, which is really oh, great. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, I've seen the movie. I thought the movie they did a really good job. Oh wow, too. cool! I didn't know there was a movie. So yeah, yeah, it's in it's in French and German. Oh neat. So it's, it's definitely a sub, it's a subtitle night for those of us who don't speak French or German. So I I I'm still I'm, like the subtitles are good for hand for like a handrail, um, but I do speak both of those. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I am excited about this book already. So great. Okay. So yeah, we just need to. Um, so yeah, I've approached a publisher with the the idea. Uh, so I'm waiting to hear back right now. So yeah, I would think like this. This may be one of those times where this is a book that doesn't exist. Like I think, I think yeah. I've never seen anything that really covers this particular. I mean, it's mentioned, but I don't think it's really talked about like in yeah. a whole work. I think I don't think anyone's done one so yeah I think it and I think there's a lot of people who would benefit from it if if they knew it existed so. yeah oh definitely definitely like you said it can be a really painful process I think having something mm. oh yeah this is you're not the first person having these feelings yeah like when it happened to me I felt like I was actually going completely nuts for six months <laughs> so um so I was like, yeah, you know, uh, I could have done with a handrail. <laughs> well, thank hand. you for starting to construct one for other people. I think that's admirable work. Thank you. Um, so where can readers connect with your work now or where's the best place to connect with you? Um, so yeah, I seem to be spending a lot of time on Instagram these days. Uh, also have the YouTube channel um, and the blog dowsing for divinity uh that's where i post stuff that i've just written um unless i'm planning on sticking it in a book in which case it goes in <laughs> secret place mm -hmm. um i am on twitter as well and um avoiding facebook like the plague these days uh, and i also have my own discord channel inclusive wicker um and so people are welcome to join that as well. Uh, so I think the most central place would be either yvonnebro.com or um, inclusivewicker.org. And you can find links to all my stuff on there. And we'll have all those links in the show notes too and on the website. Great. So, but thank you so much for your time. And thank you for this conversation. It was lovely to talk to you like face-to-face -face finally and not just through yeah. Instagram messages. Yeah, it's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you. Great. Thanks for having me. Witch Lit is a production of Thousand Volt Press and is edited by Kaifel A. Agostini, who also designed our logo. You can find us online at witchlitpod.com and on Instagram and Twitter at witchlitpod. Thanks for listening and for reading Witchy. Witchy.